an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you that I am now on Wisdom app. It is an app where we can connect and we can keep the conversation going about this week's episode. So pick up the Wisdom app. I can't wait to see you there. Sometimes I'm afraid to spend too much time with myself because then I know what everybody else feels. But when you spend a little bit of quiet time and just get the butcher paper and just sit with yourself, even for five minutes, it's amazing all the voices that start popping mm. And you just start writing stuff down. And I'm like, oh, I got that story and that story. And so all these stories came together. And then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, now I've got 60,000 words or whatever it was. And I just, now I just need to get a thing printed. So what was cool about it was I started the process out of necessity, but I had such a good time during the process. It was just fun. It was just neat what you learn about yourself. But more than anything, it was just neat to kind of go back into your, the recesses of your memories and realize that these mundane little moments had a learning opportunity and you can make them something funny happen. Like, I don't know, using toenail clippers on your eyebrows right before you get on a podcast. So there's that. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the show, I have Mo Barrett, and she is a colonel in the Air Force. She's 30 years out. She's a comedian. She's in a quartet. I also was late to the interview because I was looking at her website and I was laughing out loud. Like, I've never <laughs> been to a website that continually made me laugh out loud. The way you phrase things, I am so excited for this interview because you really bring, number one, your energy. You can tell just in your photos, in your words and everything. The way you say things is just... <laughs> Amazing. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. This is going to be a really fun conversation. I'm excited to be here. So thank you. For someone like you who reads energy and can feel energy and can channel energy, like the fact that you use energy with relation to my website, that makes me very happy. So thank you for that. You're welcome. The moment you realized that you didn't get into the Air Force, what was going through your mind and what did you do for that year until, well, I don't want to spoil it. So you tell us. No, no. <laughs> now, so it was interesting because I think I'm a late bloomer. So I remember being in high school and I was cutting class and we had to duck into the career center to, to get away from the authority figures. They showed a video on the Air Force Academy and I'm like, I want that. That's what I want to do. And so I ran down to my guidance counselor's office and I told him my plan. And he was also the head football coach. So you know how we roll those people. And he looked at me and he goes, Michelle, you'll never get in there. He goes, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. Your grades aren't good enough. Your standardized test scores aren't high enough. And he like literally laughed at me. And I remember thinking, you know, you get that struggle between somebody who's an authority figure and kind of like carving your own path. And it was like this conflict. And I'm like, you know, F that. I'm going to, I'm still going to apply anyway. I applied and didn't get in. Instead of not getting into the Air Force Academy, I actually got this letter that was offering me a chance to go to this prep school for six months. And I'm like, again, at this kind of this crossroads, I'm like, I go to a normal college and I can drink and have all those experiences, or I can try one more year and try this Air Force Academy thing. So I kind of left the letter out on the table and my sister walked by and she just kind of looked at it and she said, if they had allowed women 
at the academies when I was applying to college, I would have done anything to apply. And I'm like, that's all I needed. And so I applied. I got into this prep school. So I went to this military prep school. It was a civilian school geared for the military academies for six months. And then I went to a community college for a semester and took a couple classes. And the whole time I reapplied to the Air Force Academy. And then I got in the next time around. And of course, then I went back to my guidance counselor in my cadet uniform. And I'm like, hey, Coach Potes. He's like, I always knew you'd get in. I'm like, you mother, you know, <laughs> no, you didn't. Like that wow. reverse psychology. Yeah. But I think especially as thought leaders, you have this podcast and you have this platform. People are listening and people are registering what you say. And when people put that negative shit out there, it affects people. Now, I don't know how many people he counseled that they couldn't do something or they weren't smart enough, but thank God my sister made some casual comment. But again, you make a casual comment and people are listening and you never know who's going to who's going to act or not act based on your words. And so it's really important. I'm glad that you have this positive platform like this and you're using it that way because we need more of that in the world. Oh, thank you. So I'm curious, which sister was it? Because you're one of six and I am too. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Where are you in the six? I'm middle. You're in the middle, I share right? It with my twin, who I was just visiting. Oh, cool. Yes, yeah, so I'm the last of six. So my dad yeah. had five kids by his first wife. She died of breast cancer, and then there's a ten year gap, and then me. So oh wow, this was okay. the fourth oldest. So Barb. Oh, okay. <laughs> we need the older sisters to tell us what to do. <laughs> Is your twin older than you? She's one minute older than me, but I did some reprogramming, she- and in order to actually step into all this work, I had to reprogram being number two, which is so really, yeah. So actually when people ask me, I have to think, okay, what happened actually? (laughs) Like, what are they actually asking? Cause I feel like I came first now because of the reprogramming of my brain and being able to step into a leader role. I mean, if you come out second, you're following, right? So it's an interesting conversation (laughs) to have with you. It's funny how that those dynamics from siblings play into everything that being in the, the middle, I raised the youngest. So I was just curious which one was helping you out because we're really tight. All of us are actually really tight. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And there's a 20 year gap. So it's actually my little sister is 10 years younger than me. So what's the age spread between the oldest and the youngest? 20, 20 years. 20. Yeah. We have 21. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah. And that's probably why you're so funny, right? Because, or I assume that because it was a skill to get along, right? Coping Here. mechanism. Yeah, no, I know. But like it, now you use it for good, right? Is that where you well, hopefully yeah. try to like be the star you know, of the show? I don't know. I don't know. Because my siblings are so much older, I kind of grew up. I have everything except for middle child syndrome. Like I have oldest child, only child and youngest child, but I have very little youngest child. But my dad and mom were always laughing. I mean, any fight or disagreement they had always ended up in laughter. So I just think I was kind of grown up in an area like that. And I always knew I was weird. And so I think... Maybe it is a coping mechanism, but I just, I think that laughter is a great equalizer. And so I saw that early on and then it was just kind of, how do you make people laugh and just keep going like that? I know for myself when I'm coaching or teaching or whatever, I always incorporate laughter because I, in fact, let's get into it because you have that in your tagline and I do believe that it is so healing. Why don't you tell us what your tagline is on your website? And then we'll get back to your story about once you got into the Air Force. Your, Your tagline is laugh, learn, think. And you have a reason for that. Why don't you tell everybody? So the laugh, learn, think, and it has to be in that order, I think, because first of all, I think that just because as we were alluding to, laughter is this great equalizer. And I think there's a great connection thing too, because you can watch a show and you can laugh out loud, but when you are with somebody and you laugh, you're coming together in that connection, especially today, so many people have outsourced their thinking. It's like they don't have their own opinions. And so I think it's important that we learn something. I had never heard of the dark night of the soul 
until listening to your podcast. And I'm like, what is that? So I've been doing research. So like learning something, right? And then thinking like, it's not just about what you learn, but it's about applying it and kind of saying, okay, well, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to my life? How does that apply to my relationship? So laughing is the most important because I think that kind of disarms people, right? Mm. You can, and then you can sneak in some education while they're laughing, but <laughs> yeah. And have you ever like, done laughter yoga with your practice? Oh my gosh, I do love it. Karina, who's been on the show long ago, uh-huh. like probably in the early episodes, she is, has an amazing laugh and I could not handle it. It's amazing how healing it is. Have you, have you done it? I did. My dad had Alzheimer's. And so we used to do it with that. That's about it. But it's just funny. You said, I've been watching the show Last One Laughing. It's, I don't know, it's on Prime or Netflix, one of those things. But it's all these comedians like Colin Mockery, Dave Foley, and they are all in a room and they cannot laugh. So they're, and Tom Green's in there and they're all trying to make each other laugh. And I've seen that on you heard TikTok. Of it? Yeah. Oh, just like oh, God. snippets. Yeah. It is really Yeah. Funny. But you talk about someone who's got a contagious laugh and like sometimes that's all it takes, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. once you start, you're done. <laughs> I love it. I love that you see the value in that. It's really beautiful. And then in, inserting something that they can take with them, you know, something right. that they can learn and, and the puns that you have are amazing. But anyway, let's get back to you. Because <laughs> seriously, that that is, it's very interesting that you were a child who was skipping class and, you know, not looking for structure. And then you went f- towards structure, you know, and yeah. how did that go? Like, I'm thinking probably there was, it was a bumpy ride there. Yeah, I think it gave me structure at a time when I needed structure whether or not I realized that, not that I'm into dominatrix stuff, but sometimes it's nice to be told what to do and it's like what to think. So, so yeah, we went there. That was early. But I think there's a value in in kind of having some structure. And I am a little bit OCD, I'm a lot of bit OCD, but, you know, having that structure and then kind of figuring out who you are while you've got someone else kind of setting boundaries for you. But something I've recently realized is that I spent nearly 30 years in an organization that rewarded people who were the first of, the best of, and the only of. This is like a two or three week old revelation that I don't have to be the first or the best or the only because I'm me, which makes me the first and the best and the only. I think we're all out there competing to be the first and the best and the only when all we have to be is ourselves. And that's one thing that your message really resonates me because you believe in the value of each person. And I think if we don't bring that to the world and we try to suppress it. So I spent 30 years suppressing. I I knew that the first thought that came to my mind was not the first thing that should come out of my mouth. So I learned (laughs) to engage my filter. Now, I'm not saying I was always successful, but I think people were surprised I made it for as long as I did in the military to include myself. But I'm finally coming into this second act where I'm like, we don't have to suppress what makes us weird because we're all weird. And thank God for that. So let's leverage it. I thought you were going to say leverage it. And I kind of like that also, like loving on it. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> makes you uh, get to that next level. I also had a lot of thoughts. I remember in eighth grade or maybe even seven, raising my hand and thinking about things differently and then saying it and everybody laughing. And in reality, I had real basis for it. Like I, it was a, it was an intelligent understanding and I was bringing it up for conversation. And then I was like, oh, I guess I should just keep my mouth shut for and like yeah. the next 10, 12, 15 years. <laughs> and so it's kind of ironic that I have a podcast now because, well, maybe I just like had to use all my words that I never used before because I was just staying right. quiet. And people thought I was a bitch because I was quiet. I was like, no, you guys were judging me. So that's why I was quiet. So you managed to, I mean, you worked your way all the way up to Colonel. I mean, that is amazing. So how yeah. did you do that? My mom has dementia now. She used to be on Facebook and all those other things. And when I first got promoted to Colonel, I called her up and I was like, Mama, I found out I made Colonel. And like, I thought of all the words a mother can say if when they're proud of their daughter, I thought maybe she would say, 
I knew you could do it. I'm proud of you. I love you. Congratulations. Those were not the first things. Literally, the first thing she said was, you made Colonel, even with Facebook? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, mom. I just think it's one of those things I would just keep saying yes to opportunities and then working hard to make that yes a reality and then just keep working hard and just finding the opportunities and just keep volunteering for stuff. And I just, I kept doing it till it was fun. And sometimes I think I'm not that smart. I just don't know any better. So it's like, I'm just going to say yes to the opportunity because nobody else is. So maybe there's a gem in there. Maybe there's not. Maybe it's just hard work, but just saying yes to opportunities and working hard. When you're so funny, that is a form of brilliance, especially as funny as you are. I mean, some people are funny and oh, you're it's you. like sixth grade humor, which is more like where I'm at. But <laughs> sixth grade. Boy I know humor. some poop jokes. That... <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. Definitely. If you're funny, you're intelligent, very highly intelligent. Thank I you. think it's really amazing. So how did you transition from that? Like, that's a big career and status to give up. I mean, not that you're like never not a colonel because you will always be a colonel, but you know what I mean? You're just not doing the same things, you know, now you're a storyteller, right? Yeah. You know, I've had multiple dark nights of the soul, but that was probably one of them in that for 30 years, I mean, even as a kid, I knew I wanted to go into the military. Like I didn't know how I'd get there. I didn't know what what role I would have, but I always knew it was going to be in the military. And so for 30 years and arguably my whole life, that's all I've been defined by was being an Air Force airman or an officer or a pilot or whatever it was. And so when the time started coming, I saw the writing on the wall that I wasn't going to get promoted to general. I said, I'm going to have to start transitioning. And it was ugly because I didn't know how else to identify myself. Like mm. I was told what to wear. I was told where to live. I was told how to live, how to eat, all those things. And that was a, it was a really rough time for me. Now, fortunately, Jen retired uh, about six months before me. She kind of was my, my my retirement mentor and we figured it out. But for, I would say for three or four days was really, really dark in that I'm like, I don't know who I am. And finding, again, finding my voice and realizing that I had a voice, the speaking part of it kind of came as, as part of my job as an officer, I was always talking and I don't know if anybody was listening, but it was <laughs> that you're always delivering some kind of message. And I always found that story was the best way to do that. Then I retired and I just kind of opened my eyes and saw the possibilities. And it's been a slow journey, but it's been a fun one too. When you say that it was a dark night of the soul, you think that it was a dark night of the soul because you had basically so much free will and you could formulate your life to look like anything. And where did you first start? Like that first day when you transitioned and you were like, I am now a free person. You were always free. But to me, that's hard to have somebody <laughs> telling you what to do all the time. You yeah. Just do anything. Did you do nothing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't do nothing well, so I don't remember exactly what I did, but I think it was just kind of coming to terms with it. And Jen was really helpful in that. Fortunately, I was singing in a barbershop quartet, and I'm also a DC tour guide. So there were some other things that kind of bridged that gap. But in all of that, the most common foundation of everything was storytelling, whether I'm singing, whether I'm showing people sites in DC, it's packaging. I used to ask my parents how they met and would ask my dad, I was like, dad, how did you and mom meet? And he would tell this, he was like, I was shopping for a socket wrench at Sears and I'm in the tool department <laughs> and I go up to the cashier and I see this beautiful woman and she's there and I'm so nervous and I can't talk to her. So I buy my socket wrench and I go home, but I got to go see her again. So the next day I go and I buy another tool and I'm still nervous and I just buy the tool. <laughs> and he tells this story, right? It's got like a John Williams soundtrack. It's got spotlighting. It's got character development, all this stuff. And he says, and finally, after a week, I asked her out to lunch. I'm like, Aww. okay. I said, mom, how did you and dad meet? <laughs> My mom can barely stay awake for her version of it. She's like, oh, I don't know. 
I was working as a cashier in Sears, and this guy came every single day for like a week. Never said anything, bought one tool, and then finally asked me if I wanted to go to lunch. And I'm thinking, how did you, how was I made? Like, how did you two end up together? But you know what? And it's just a, a casual story about a guy buying a tool, but I will listen to my dad's version a thousand times over. I've never asked my mom for her version again. Yeah. But it's such a mundane event, but how you relay it, I mean, there's power in telling that story. You know, I'm somewhere out there, there's somebody who's, who's got a third perspective and saw it from the outside. But even these mundane moments have these opportunities to tell it better, to relay it better, to make something out of it and mm -hmm. take something away from it. But I've always loved my dad as a storyteller. And when I'm driving in the car by myself, I practice telling jokes or telling stories. That's what I do when I'm in the car, by, which is probably why I shouldn't drive by myself. You guys are traveling the country too, or you have a Tiffin, right? We just sold it like oh. three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank wow. God, because diesel's like, I don't know, $1,000 a gallon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Jen, your partner? Yeah. Okay. So when I saw the two of you in the Tiffin, I was like, you're hilarious, but like having you in a long car ride? I don't know. What is that like? <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like, yeah. It might be a lot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you probably should ask Jen that. Yeah. Pretty sure I know her answer. Jen is a high functioning introvert. I know this is going to surprise you, but I'm actually an extrovert. And so when we sit in the car and Jen will just drive for hours without saying anything. And I'm like, are you mad at me? What are you thinking? What's going through your head? What are you doing? She's just like, I'm fine. Like, I honestly never know if she's mad at me or, yeah, it, it can be exhausting. I can be much. I, I, uh, my introvert friends tell me I drain their batteries. So I, I try oh, to, wow. <laughs> I just try to, but I, you know, but they still come back for more. So that's not, that's right, on right, them, yeah. not on me. <laughs> I, I feel like you're just very in the present moment, which is really fun. You know, a lot of people yeah. go inward. I think I took a test one time and I was like an introverted extrovert. And I'm like, I don't uh -huh. even know how to explain that. But you're an empath. Are you an HSP as well? A highly sensitive person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I can take a long car ride by myself. I can drive seven hours with no radio and just think, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But then I also really enjoy a car ride. Like I love long road trips with other people as well. So I can listen. What do you do on the road trips? Are you like music, games? Yeah, music. I don't really so much like games as much, but just conversation. Definitely yeah. music. My son is great. He So in 2020, we were also got a camper for the first time. And travel oh, cool. the country. Yeah. With him. Cause he was five and he was doing online schooling. We're like, screw this. He traveled 80 hours in the car as a five-year-old, 80 hours. Wow. A lot of stops, but he's also like me. He loves long car rides and trips and things like that. That's us. But my wife is also pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so like, she also would be fine with just like listening to the radio and just focusing on the road. I'll, and I always, am like, I'm working on this energy. And she's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do you want me to work on you? I'll I'll work on you. Oh my God. Fen sounds like Jen. That's like, she's like, she goes, oh my, I'm like, I have this workshop. Can I try it? She's like, oh yeah. my God. I'm like, I'm like thanks for being such a willing look. participant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Drive them. Nuts. Well, it's funny. My best friend and I have a podcast. It's just all entertainment based. So she and I are half of the quartet we're in. And so when we drive up to New Jersey, which is where our other quartet member is, our base from Virginia comes to Maryland. And the two of us go pick up Katie, who's in Baltimore. And then the three of us drive up and Katie and I will stay awake and pun. Well, we like literally for an hour and a half, poor Kendra, our base, <laughs> we were driving. It's like, we get up there at midnight it was bad weather and it was dark and I was tired. I was like, Katie, let's just pick a topic and let's pun it. We picked, I think, animals. We punned back and forth for an hour and a half. Poor Kendra in the back is 
well, Katie's the, the great punter like that, but Kendra was about, I, I think she's about ready to jump out and walk the rest of the New Jersey because she was just like, oh my God, like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. So why did you get involved in a quartet? Like, is it just always been something that oh. you wanted to do? Oh my God. Do you sing at all? I mean, only in the shower. <laughs> oh, widely received auditions in the shower. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. <laughs> so when I was working, oh gosh, just like, 2007 or something like that. And it was one of the guys I worked with, and he was in the Navy, but he was in this male barbershop chorus. And I'd never, I had no idea. So we were just supporting our work friends. So we went and watched his show and his chorus ended up, they were like number five in the world. I mean, they were kick ass. They were really good. Just amazing. Like a hundred some odd men on these tiered risers and they were singing, no musical instruments. And it was just, I mean, blows your face off. It was awesome. And so I would go, I went to multiple shows and finally it was just like, I wanted that. Like I wanted to be, I didn't knew that they're all boys. I got it. So, so I went to my friend Craig and I said, I love your shows. And I said, but if I'm being honest, I want to be a part of that. Like if there were a group where all women were doing what you do. And he goes, you're such a dumbass. And he goes, <laughs> Women do sing barbershop. It's called Sweet Adeline's International. Mike, right, see it. Bye. I'm Googling. And so I found this female barbershop organization called Sweet Adeline's International. And it is the most supportive thing I've ever done. Now, COVID and all that crap last year kind of tanked everything. But what I found I loved more than chorus singing, where you there may be 20 people all singing the same part. There's four parts, but 20 people may be singing the baritone part and 20 people singing the melody. But when I got into the quartet, Man, you talk about something that makes you all naked and open kimono is you are the only one holding your part. So it's like, it's on you. And that's a yeah. lot of responsibility, but it's a lot of power too. So more so than chorus singing, I found that I really love quartet singing. And so our quartet's been together since 2018. We met through a like a speed dating uh, quartet oh thing. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. And we have so much fun. And we had a meeting early on, like when we first decided to get together, because one's in New Jersey, two in Maryland, one in Virginia. We said, if we're going to do this, if we're going to invest our time and our energy and our finances in this, two things. We want to sing well, and this is not in order. And we want to have fun. Mm. And we have definitely have fun. And so we are the goofballs, but we make a good sound. And it's been rewarding because, again, you talked earlier, that was what helped me transition out of the Air Force is that I had something else that I could define myself as. So how old were you when you started defining yourself in a different way? However, I'm going to be old tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I feel like I'm still figuring it out. I feel like I've been on this constant journey. I mean, even when I was at the Air Force Academy, I've known I was gay since I was four. So I don't know when you had your oh, wow. coming yeah, out it. experience. But <laughs> Me too, I think. 23. Okay. Oh, and I loved your interview with, I can't, I can't remember the name, Danny and who's the couple? Oh, Danny and Keely. Keely, so yeah. Cute. I love that oh interview. Gosh, They're right? so cute. But thank God for them. I mean, thank God for you for giving them a platform as well. So it's sure, it's great yeah. work. And, and again, I think we need that, right? But even when I was at the Air Force Academy, it was like illegal. I could have gotten kicked out. Yeah. I kind of lied to get in. But even through my first half of my career, I wasn't allowed to be. I mean, everybody knew. And again, I think it goes back to just, just be a good person, do your damn job. But everybody knew, but couldn't say it. And I could have been fired for that. So I'm always kind of just figuring it out. And so, yeah, that's a lot of pressure. I, I, yeah, I think may, maybe at the in college is when I started figuring out, but man, I'm going full sprint now. So I'd say in the past couple of years, I've been trying to tweak it a little bit and accelerate. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I totally understand that. I think it is hard when you grow up and you know that you're different, but you don't know what it is. And then me being very sensitive and me being gay, I was really confused. (laughs) Plus being a twin. And then nobody wanted to know my opinion of being in the house of six kids. As soon as I got to college, I remember the day I step onto the university dorm area, I was like, oh my God, they don't know that I have a twin. It was the first time I really claimed my own identity, like as just ah. myself. And that was when I started the ball rolling of being like, well, who the hell is that? Right. And it evolved. And I, and then I started living just from my heart and taking classes. And I just hoped that it would all work out taking psychology classes. I took a little computer science, which is interesting because I do hacking of the mind. So yep. I think that was where that played in, but it's really interesting how it's unraveled over the years or unfolded. I should say yeah. um, I've unraveled. <laughs> <laughs> several times, you know, at 26. And then, you know, there's been definitely a lot of dark nights of the soul, but I really do believe that those dark nights of the soul really make us who we really are. It helps us to define who we really are. And in even recently, like you were saying in the last three weeks, you've been redefining who you are even further. There is that energy on the planet right now of redefining who you are. And Mm -hmm. I even feel like I've even raised my vibration yet. And again, but this time I didn't have to go through a dark night of soul. It was sort of just a little frustrating. And I just felt like, irritated with myself, but I'm now at the next level. So I feel really good about that. And, That's awesome. And, 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 and I know that there'll be another level, <laughs> but yep, I'm hopeful yep, yep. that it's not going to be a terrible one. Maybe this is because you were figuring it out when you went to college, but how did you end up in a science? Like you ended up teaching science and you were in a physics class, but how did you end up doing that given all the other work that you do now? Yeah, it's nuts. So I was taking psychology classes. I was taking physics 101 and my professor really liked how interested I was in the topic and I got an A in the class. So he asked me to be a TA and because I had no defined major, really, like, I don't even know what was on paper at that point. Cause I, it changed like <laughs> my underwear and so <laughs> at least like, you're wearing some, you know what I mean? So he asked me to just help teach the class. So I started doing that. And then as I took the classes for psychology, I started learning about how I thought, what happened in my childhood, like, everything really. I remember when my evolutionary psychology teacher was like, there's no such thing as true altruism. And I was like, fuck you. Like in my, like, yeah. And and then he was right though. Like you always get something back. And I remember being like, wow, you do. So it's not like it's really just giving over of you. You either get it back genetically because your, your genetic material gets passed on, or you get something in return, which is like the pleasure of helping somebody else. So you always get it back. Anyway, that was like a pivotal moment for me. And then when I went to go graduate and my parents were like, so what are you doing? You know, like when you get out, are you going to like grad school or something? And I was like, well, I didn't do so well in the GREs. So I think (laughs) I'm going to go back to teaching the original plan, which was to become a science teacher. And they were like, how the fuck are you going to do that? Like, yeah, you just spent a hundred thousand dollars getting a psychology degree. And I was like, well, I'll figure it out. So I did. I wound up joining the New York city teaching fellows program, which nearly killed me, but (laughs) I got my master's degree for free. I went oh, wow. to the classroom. Yeah. And they were like, here are your books. And I understood it all because I loved it all. I got really good grades in high school because I was a nerd. And that was also another realization when I was 16 years old that I was actually good at science. Yeah. I broke my back and that was a dark night of the soul. I broke my back playing soccer and I realized nice. I was really great at chemistry. And I'd always thought I was the dumb <laughs> blonde, the jock, the dumb blonde jock. So that was my identity. And then that transformed. So anyway, to answer your question, I have over the years, just slowly followed my heart, you know, yeah, has been about 
you know, when I served the kids in New York city and, and it was one of the most dangerous schools in New York city, probably the country, yeah. I got to my point where I was just like, I can't take this anymore. So I had to find mental health, like help. Well, didn't you say the kids were like throwing things at you and, and yeah. they didn't understand that you could love them and un the unconditional love that you brought, they just weren't used to that or couldn't, couldn't yeah. wrap their heads around that. Yeah, they could. That's insane. Yeah, I know. It was really, that was another one where I was just like, what is going on? Like to not be able to accept unconditional love. Right. I was like, wow, you have to be so hurt to, to be in that. Yeah. So that was also a boot camp for me as well. Like where they just were so mean to me and I just had to be like, it's not personal. It's not personal. It's not personal. And then I realized it's never personal, uh, but this is yeah. an interview about you. <laughs> you're, I'm, you're so I'm learning. I'm learning yeah. stuff. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. You're so wonderful. You are just so easy to talk to. And, and so yeah, this um, is great. Brilliant. Really. It was so you have a book out that is called part of my quirk, right? Yeah. Love that because that's also, I'm quirky and that's why my yep. wife likes me because she likes quirky <laughs> things. So tell us about that. Obviously we all need to know how to start loving ourselves a little bit more. Yeah. The one thing as a speaker, I go through speaker coaching and all these workshops and all these things. I'm trying to figure this whole game out. And one of the things are like, well, you need to have a book. You need to have a book that you can hand and you know, like every speaker needs a book. It's your business card. I'm like, all right, fine. I like, I enjoy writing. I don't mind. So work with a publisher and like, okay, just get us 40,000 words. 40,000 words will be a good size book that we can publish for you. I'm like, okay. So I dig through all my notes and I've got, I'm a nerd too. Like I'm an office supply junkie. So I've got, I'm like, if I have to go to Staples and get note cards, so be it. I'll be at Staples. That's my happy place. So I'm getting all these note cards and I'm writing all my stories out and kind of organizing everything. And I pound away at the computer and I'm just getting everything done. Uh, submitted to my publisher. I got my next call, my update. And I'm thinking, okay, 40,000 words. I had a big post-it note said 40,000. And I was just going to keep subtracting every time. And like, I should be close. Get on the publisher and they do the word count and they go, okay, so we got your submission. We just remember we need 40,000 words. I'm like, okay, yeah. How many words do I have? They're like, 6,000. <laughs> like, oh, come on. But you talk about something demoralizing. So I just go back. But I think sometimes I'm afraid to spend too much time with myself because then I know what everybody else feels. But when you spend a little bit of quiet time and just get the butcher paper and just sit with yourself, even for five minutes, it's amazing all the voices that start popping. Mm. And you just start writing stuff down. And I'm like, oh, I got that story and that story. And so all these stories came together and then it got to the point where I'm like, okay, now I've got 60,000 words or whatever it was. And I just, now I just need to get a thing printed. So what was cool about it was I started the process out of necessity, but I had such a good time during the process. It was just fun. It was just neat what you learned about yourself, but more than anything, it was just neat to kind of go back into your, the recesses of your memories and realize that these mundane little moments had a learning opportunity and you can make them something funny happen. Like, I don't know, using toenail clippers on your eyebrows right before you get on a podcast. So there's that. I tagged you on Facebook like, Amy, will you still love me? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to find that. <laughs> it, it's been good. And it's, I don't know, it's just part of this journey. And it's just in the Air Force, they frown upon building the plane as you're flying it. But I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing. It's like, just make a commitment. And I think the, one of the things that I had learned about tapping a long time ago, but hearing you do that, you did the episode with Mark where you guys kind of, your producer, you guys kind of walked through oh, it. Yeah. yeah it, I wrote it down. I wrote all the, that, see, look right here, post-it notes. Look at you. <laughs> and I was writing it down and I'm, I'm like, that's a good thing. And I think there's value to hearing your own goals in your own voice, just like with writing or seeing in a print, there is value in seeing yourself in your own handwriting, hearing yourself in your own voice. And I think like with the tapping and saying those statements out loud, I think you have to do it out loud. And with writing, it's the same thing. It's really neat. 
and empowering to see yourself and your life and your lessons. And it makes you look at things differently. So Hmm. I encourage everybody, even if you don't publish it, just sit down and write, just sit down with yourself and think about all the things that you've done or all the experiences you've had. I mean, my God, no one's ever thrown a desk at me, much less the whole classroom of kids. So that's a story. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I look back on my life and I'm like, that really did happen. Made it through that. And I'm sure you have lots of stories like that, especially being in the Air Force and being in charge of so many people and doing these incredible missions, like just in my own battlefield, just one, one that was pretty consistent, but, but also scary. Yeah. Well, we always joke around writing a book's called, you can't make this shit up. You know what I mean? I mean, that's right. There's a bunch of chapters right there. Yeah. And it's interesting how you talk about your dad being a storyteller. My dad was a storyteller too. And my dad was also always asked people about their life. He was like, I don't want to talk about myself. I want to hear about your life and your story. And I was reading on your website, which made me laugh out loud. You're like, people say you can learn from other people's mistakes. And you're like, I've had enough mistakes in my own life. I don't need to learn from this. (laughs) (laughs) Like that just made me laugh out loud. I've really realized just sharing your story is enough. You know, just being who you are authentically is enough. Yep. You don't have to do anything else. And it's hard because we come from that doing mentality of like, I must fix this or I must help or I must be there and do it. And that will come just naturally if you're authentic. But if as long as you stay true to who you are and you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and honoring that. Like when I was looking at your branding and that little, I don't, I want to call it an emoji, but it's not, what is it called? I call, she's my little mascot, Mokolohe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The mascot. Like, I'm sure there's probably reasons for everything, but even the paper airplane, like I was like, that is so genius because you are silly, but you also were a pilot, like, like a very significant pilot, you know? (laughs) And I've been going through my own evolution, as I said, you know, with finding who I am even more. And just seeing somebody else who's defined themselves, you know, helps me understand myself more and where, where right. I want to be. Like I was taking pictures of your website. Like I was just like, this is awesome. Just so I can explain like what it is I want to tell people. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, this is another version of, of something that is being said, but in a different way, but in, in, yeah. and also has the same kind of cool energy. And But isn't that cool that we can evolve? I mean, I think yeah. you, you see so many people that get stuck in that mindset and they just get stuck with the stories they've always, they, they don't take the time to reprogram your, themselves. You know, I think it's important. And I'm like, I just, there's, there's no power. And I'm sure there's some scientific chemistry type term, but just that potential energy and converting it to kinetic. That was pretty smart sounding, wasn't it? That, just that, well, wow, I feel like I'm going to have a beaker and some kind of mini explosion. But it's like when you can have that and take what's potential, because I think everybody's got this great potential and change it into and catalyze it into uh, kinetic energy and into doing. Because I think so many people get stuck and they tell themselves the same stories and they mm-hmm. they just complete this the same routine. I'm like, I can't, I can't. So mm. that's why we need people like you and me out there just pushing people out of their boundaries and out of their comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, I was just saying to my wife, we know somebody who's going through something and I was like, you know what? He thinks that's all he can have. Like, that's all it's going to be. And he doesn't understand that he gets to write the story. And right. when we finally get empowered to realize that we can write the story, then everything changes. And it's like, yeah, who do you think is writing the story? It's almost kind of silly that we would think that it, our right. destiny is up to somebody else or that something else would get us where we're supposed to be, you know? I yeah, grab the pen and start writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I was using an analogy of the GPS unit where you like type in the location you want to go. It's like, well, if you never put in the location of where you're at, you're never going to get there, right? So you have yep. to determine where you're going. 
but a lot of people just are like letting the universe or, or their subconscious put in the, the destination and then they don't like it. And they're frustrated with the subconscious putting in the location, but they had yeah. choice over it the whole time. Um, yeah. That's on you. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, and I love that you are so willing to embody all these different personalities almost like, Oh, you know what? I was listening to Joe Dispenza and he talks about how your personal reality is your personality and your personality is your personal reality. So it's like Ooh. this feedback. I know, right? This feedback I love that. back and forth. I think it's, we're lucky because we were struggling with being gay and knowing that mm-hmm. we were different, that we kind of were like, all right, I'm willing to let go of identities that I thought I had. So I think it made it easier, at least for me. Would you, would you agree? You know, like when you, cause you had to give up the identity of being told what to do every single day and right. how to be, you know, and right. that's huge. Like 30 yeah. years of that or 20, it was 25, right? Yeah. Tw- yeah. Yeah. 25 years of that is a long time. And that was the same thing when I became, when I left teaching and I went into healing work, people were like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, because I have to, sorry, I just hit the table. Right. You know, I, that I'm like, for emphasis. Yeah. I don't care that I did that. That was that that's over with now. That's not who I am anymore. And I'm willing to be this now. Did you struggle? So when people, when you made that transition and people are asking you, so two, two full question, I'm going to two full question you. Number one, did you feel that they were asking like from a position of kind of thinking you're crazy for doing that? And then number two, did you take it that way? Like, you know, like, do people go like, well, why did you stop teaching or why are you going into this? Or did you get that feeling at all? Well, so I got both. I saw a lot of people were judging. How mm-hmm. can you make money? You were so good at a te- as, as a teacher. You could reach the kids in ways that other people couldn't. You could read them and everything like that and just get to them and help them transform. Like I would see when there was a kid who was really struggling, I would look at the kid and I'd be like, this, something's not right here. You know, like they're struggling for a reason. And it's not because he's just like an asshole. Like that's not, that's not the answer. So I would go back and I would do my research and I would ask him questions and I would, I would make him feel safe, which a lot of people find that about me. I'd make them feel safe to be who they are. This kid was like, I can't write. I hurt my hand. Mm. I can't write. So, and they never fixed it. I never got PT or whatever. So I just choose not to write, but I can read. So I started talking to him and he's like, that's why I love the internet. And I always want to be on the internet because I can learn by just hitting the arrow. He's like, right, right, right. So, you know, when you ask the right questions and you can get the right information and then he was never a problem for me ever again, because I knew how to reach him anyway. So, right. Like, that's what they were referring to is like, these kids need you. And I'm like, yes, I understand that. But I understand that there's something else that's being called of me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like my hands are tied basically at, as a teacher in uh, the public school system. Yeah. So I, I just kept following my heart and I didn't know the answers. And I had a lot of people being like, you have a really good job right now, you know, and why are you going to give that up? And I'm like, I can't tell you why I just know I'm supposed to. So right, I, it was right, a right, lot right, of right. and it was a lot just living from my heart. But also I think the very first time that I had to choose me and say, I am gay to my family. Basically, I was like, I'm dating Jen. So I didn't really say that. <laughs> but I was like, you can figure out the rest <laughs> because I wasn't even there yet. Like to be like, I am gay or whatever. Um, right. I was just like, this is who I'm dating. <laughs> so guess what? That means that. And that was the first time I chose me. And so I, I never really have wavered since then. But I think that's a hard thing to do is to choose you because because I think, again, you talk about the programming is that 
we've always been taught, you know, you do for others and, and that pure altruism does exist. And, you know, but I, I think we get caught up in this. If you don't choose you and if you don't make yourself a priority, then you're not good for anybody else, right? When you go on, a, on the airlines, they always say, if the oxygen mask drop, you got to put yours on first and blah, blah, blah. Because if you don't take care of yourself, then you're useless to anybody else. You depleted all your tanks. And so, mm-hmm. but I think that's a hard thing to do. And I, I definitely struggle with that. I struggled with the the gay thing more from a religious aspect. A good friend of mine's a pastor. And so I basically wrote there and I, I actually kept the transcript of the email. It started off with no greetings. Hi, how you doing? I wrote... <laughs> Are gay people going to hell? That's how I started off the email. I'm like, I need to work on my salutations a little bit better. But, you know, she sent me a long response and made me and not okay, not okay with it. I think it's a, it's a quick, it's a long transition. But my discomfort with the whole gay thing was was more of the religious thing. But once you're okay with being you and making a making yourself a priority, then you're better. And you talk, we talked at the very beginning of this about how easy this felt, and and like it should, it should feel easy because. I think when you're following, I just think about a river and if the river flows, if there's a rock, it goes around it. You just, there's no sense in just to kind of keep hitting the rock because then you're just creating a dam and it's like, it it should feel easy. And that's how you kind of know you're in alignment with what you're supposed to be doing. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's awesome that you left that. And I think, I think a lot of people are maybe question that just because they don't have the courage to do what you do, to leave a secure thing without a safety net and to build the plane while you're flying. Cause I got that right. a lot too. They're like, you're doing what to do what? I'm like, yeah, just, it doesn't feel right anymore. I'm going to stop hitting the rock and I'm going to flow to where it feels right. And mm. I'm still figuring it out. I don't know. I don't know where the lake's going to go with it. <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. Like the next phase is now healings, one-on-one healings. Like I, I've slowly been moving away from that, but I mean, in order for me to be able to, to serve more people, which I've always known that I was supposed to do, I, I can't be spending one-on-one time right. with people. And it's like, but I'm so good at doing that, <laughs> you know? So it's like letting that go, you know, it's like, okay, even though I'm good at something, I can still stop doing that. Like I can still yeah. do the next thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think we, we, and I was such a good teacher, you know, and to those students and, and I made such an impact there, but it's like, sometimes our impact has to change. And and I like how you had brought that up as well. Like when, when you said, when did you decide that you really knew that you could have an impact? Me? Yeah. Uh, so late in life, of course. So I was stationed in Germany, which is my second to last assignment. I was a commander and we were a small air force unit on a big army post. And this is like old school, like I'm talking World War II kind of feel. We had to go get our mail in a little carrier pigeon boxes, you know? So I was walking to go get my mail and walking toward me was a mom and about, I don't know, five, six paces behind her was a little human. And she's like, mommy, wait up. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. And the mom's like yelling over her shoulder. She's like, hurry up. We got to go. We got to go. And I just, now I, I'm a childless lesbian, so I don't know what it's like to have kids or have somebody wanting your attention and stuff like that. But I felt really bad for the little girl. And I'm like, Ah, got nothing else to do. There's a whole stranger danger lesson in here. So I turned around <laughs> and I caught up to the little girl and I grabbed her hand and I said, you know what? And I said it really loud. I said, you know what? Because I'm obnoxious like that. I said, someday your mom is going to be begging you to hold her hand. So I will hold your hand. And we said it. And right as we get up, caught up to the mom. So the little girl's like all puffed up. Like she's like proud that or frightened. I'm not sure what the emotion was. But the mom just kind of looked at me and is just like this, oh God, you know? And so she changes all her keys and her mail to one hand and she grabs her daughter's hand with the other. And I let go and the two of them walk off. And I think there are moments every day when 
I don't necessarily have to have known what it's like to be a mother who's busy and just wants to get to the car. But I know that that woman had a chance to, in that short little distance left, to, to make a change and be better. And it wasn't about me having to have walked that exact path in her exact shoes to understand that she had a moment to be better. And, and honestly, this happened like in 2015, 2016. And I realized, wow, I can still share a lesson without having to have been a, a parent of a two-legged kid. You know what I mean? So that was really impactful for me. And I saw the gratitude in the little girls and the, like the pride in the little girl's body language. And I saw the, like the acceptance of the lesson. And then the fact that the mother you know, took her daughter's hand and slowed her pace a little bit so she could walk with her daughter. And I realized we can all do that. My mom was my best swim coach, but she is afraid of the water, cannot swim. Oh, wow. Because I think sometimes when you're on the outside, you see something differently. You have a mm -hmm. perspective that sometimes we get so insulated and we're in this vacuum that we don't see those opportunities to be better. And so I, I call those the magic and the mundane. I mean, there are opportunities all the time. And sometimes you need somebody outside to kind of remind you of it or help you see it. And that was the moment. I, I'll never forget that. Holding mom's hand is honestly the, the proudest moment of my life when I realized that I could make an impact like that. And it it's minor, it's, it's hand-holding, but love language, number one, is physical touch for me. So I understand uh, physical touch. Yeah. So it was that was a really powerful moment for me that I realized that I can probably impart some lessons, not, not only preaching to half-Asian gay female academy grads, I can <laughs> preach to people on a bigger scale. Yeah. And it's so, so great when we have those little moments. Like I was, when you were talking, I was thinking one of my favorite things that my son says to me is, can I tell you something? Oh, of course you can. Like, what, what do you think I'm going to do? Like, I'm here. I'm here only for you. Like, basically, I, that's how I feel. Yeah. Obviously, I'm here for everyone else. But <laughs> when it's when he's around, it's like he's everything to me. So how lucky is he? That's awesome. Thank you. Because yeah. because because how many parents aren't right? Right. Well, I do remember. And, and there are times sometimes I will say like, I'll be like, I was telling my family, he my son loves to talk. And I was trying to pack for the trip last week and I, like a lot was going through my mind and, and I'm packing, you know, short, it was a quick trip. And he's like, <laughs> so what do you think is better for me to play Minecraft or Roblox? And I'm like, do I have underwear? Do I have this? Do I have that? And I, so I'm like, okay, wait, hold on, pause. I think I like Minecraft better for you. Oh, good for <laughs> so you. Wow. The, yeah. So there's like times where he's just keeps talking and I'm like trying to do stuff and he'll tell me stories. Sometimes he'll talk for like hours about Minecraft, like in the car. <laughs> and you're like, uh -huh. oh yeah, that's great. You know, and you're like, oh my gosh, is this ever going to end? Um, but yeah, no, it's important that we do slow down the pace because that is why we're here, right? You right, know, and right. even when I landed yesterday and my wife, like eight o'clock in the morning, she's like, so by the way, we're having a family dinner tonight. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Costco. I guess I'm making dinner. Okay. I'm I right. Dinner. You know, like, and I'm thinking about everything. I'm like, but this is what life is all about. It's like yep. connection, the family to me. Yep. Well, good for, uh, good for you for valuing that because I think so many people are so busy. I call it past, future, present, right? They're so worried about how they screwed up in the past or what they're going to screw up in the future that they mess up the, the present, you know? So, so good on you. I'm Aiden's lucky, man. <laughs> yeah. He's a really special kid. He gets me into the moment all the time. Like today I awesome. was like laying in bed and he just jumped in and, and just was like, hi. <laughs> oh, like, that's okay. Awesome. I was sleeping, but now I'm awake and hi. <laughs> that's um, awesome. Yeah, he's so he, lucky. Yeah. He's, so, he's a super cool kid with cool. a lot of insight about a lot of stuff. 
which I share on the podcast a lot. So now that you realize that, do you think that's where you're going in the future? Like, is that just sharing your, your little nuggets of wisdom? I thought it was. I, I was at a speaker's boot camp two weeks ago. I was out in Santa Barbara and one of the speakers had us write down. He goes, don't think about it. He goes, I want you to write down your archetype. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so really either. I, 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 yeah, so I had to Google that. And, and he basically says, write down, I am a, and you know, we're all there. I thought we were all going to write speaker. And I swear to God, Amy, it was like the pen just went and it wrote, I wrote, I am a comedian. Yeah. And I've never, I've never thought of myself as a comedian because I thought, what? But listen, I thought that, you know, that's not a serious enough profession, right? It's like going from teaching science to, to being to into healing, yeah. energy healing and being a Reiki master and all that stuff. Right, but yeah. I, I, I said, all right, well, I'm going to go with this. The pen said, I'm a comedian. Let's just see what happens. And I had to write like two, two evidences of why you could be that. And then whatever. So we did this exercise after that. I'm like, huh. And then I realized, oh, you know, it's it's not like my tagline isn't laugh, learn, and think, and laugh is first, and I've said it's the most important. I'm like, okay, so maybe I just do want to make people laugh, but I don't want to be a comedian just for the sake of the laugh. I want, like, smart mm -hmm. humor or something right. that's uh, yeah. a little bit more substantial. So that was a pivot that just happened in the past couple of, you know, nothing's changed as far as my product or how I, right. how I speak or whatever, but the mindset shift is important because... I look at things differently now. And that's Yeah. Do you two know Izzy Lizard or sorry? Izzy Izzy Izzard? Yeah, Izzy Izzard. You have, I have to all look these him notes. Up. I got oh Loverage. I got Yeah, Loverage. I love that. By the way, I liked I made up this game for Scrabble where you just kind of you have a couple of drinks and with somebody else and you play and you make up words and they have to I I, I wait, hang on. I like how like how you're like you have a couple of drinks with somebody else. And yeah. then <laughs> like no, I'm just look, I drink alone. Don't judge me. <laughs> So, so anyway, you come up with a word and then the other person has to say whether or not they believe that it could be a word and then they say, define it. And so if I did leverage, I would say, you know, exactly what the definition is. And then they have to say, mm, that's stretching it or like that works. And it's a really fun game to play because that's awesome words that later on in life with that person you use, like what we, um, liner, we were like, it's not lunch and it's not dinner. It's liner. <laughs> That's so much fun. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, you just get creative with your mind, but Izzy uh, Lizard or Izzy Izzard, but he's a comedian okay. who gives you a history lesson. I oh. love him. And he's also, I don't know that actually he's actually trans. I can't remember, but he something, he's very interesting character, very fun, very entertaining. I haven't actually watched anything recently of his, but uh, I'll I have to go check it out 10 years ago. Like look for that stuff. Cause that yeah. that's brilliant when you can bring in humor to lessons, right. like, yeah. Cause think about all the teachers that were awful, you know, to us, you know, yeah. with these like, Oh, and I'll tell you, first of all, you have, as a teacher, you're supposed to write out your lesson plans. And I hated doing it because I'm like, <laughs> duh, like, I'm just going to read the energy of the room. But I didn't know that yep. then when I read the energy of the room and I was like, this lesson sucks and they're never going to like it. It's not going to happen yep. today. When I changed it, those were the best lessons. When yep. I just read the room and I was like, this is what they want to hear. It was amazing. It was so transformative. So my Katie is my best friend. We have this podcast, but we've been, we, we host trivia. Um, I'm partners in a brewery and we host trivia every Thursday night. And we also have gotten some jobs moderating panels and being MCs. And I actually like those. It, it's so weird. I, I actually like those opportunities better when you can't, it's almost like you can't prepare. So we, we have like maybe a shell of a lesson plan like you would have, 
but the same thing we just kind of read the room and see what happens and go with that what what is that called is it when you when you read the energy of a room like and react to that what what is that called is that just all it is, is just reading, reading the energy the room yeah i mean i would say that it was pretty obvious that i would start the lesson and be like this is what we're doing <laughs> And then yeah. I, for me, the way it feels like is it falls flat, like it hits the table. And the same is true when people say, how do you know when somebody's lying to you? Same thing happens. It hits the table. So like, it sounds like a thud or like, it's not levitating. If it's light and it's levitating, that's the truth. That's something that is well, going to be well-received. Huh? Yeah. So I, I, mine's similar. I'm just curious. So like, I, I can just feel it and I can't explain it. So like, I, I, I'm going to try to figure out how to explain it, but it's like, I'm the same way where I'll have a speech and I'll have like, this is how I think it's going to go. And I sit in early on in the crowd to kind of get a feel for the room, but I can't articulate, I don't know how to articulate, like, I think Katie gets it, you get it. And I don't know how to articulate that. So this is fascinating to me. So I'm going to start paying attention for the, the levitation or the hit and the thud, but I, I can just feel it, but I can't articulate it. Yeah, but the same way. It's like what it was only when um, my students and and uh, clients would ask me like, "How do you know when I'm lying to you, or how do you know when something is true?" And I was like, "I guess this is it." <laughs> so I had huh. to tune into it. It wasn't like something I actually really knew, uh, you know, per se, yeah. or could see. But if, yeah. as soon as you feel into it, you're like, "Oh, okay." And as so, if it's playful and light, you know, and that's why I think. Uh, you get it like because of the comedian and first of all I think it's so funny that you said that you didn't you really <laughs> identified yourself as a comedian because like to me I also I, that's my gift is I see people for who they truly are and you are a comedian and, Thank and, you. and, and being a comedian is the only thing that you need to reprogram or I would suggest that you repro reprogram is that it's not going to be enough to deliver the things that you need to deliver. It's just the vehicle in which you're delivering the message, you okay. know, and which okay. is a, a, your gift, which is so amazing. Like you, I, I'm telling you, I was late to this interview, which I'm never <laughs> late because I was like, what else is on this webpage? Because it's tracking me up. Like, I love the way you put things. And I, I do, cause I, I, I like to think of myself as intelligent. I like to think of things differently and, and, and malleable and things like that. So mm -hmm. when people do puns, I'm like, Oh, come on, man, you got me so good. Like, you know, <laughs> like I know, I know my brother-in-law is great with puns and I'm, and sometimes I'm just like, oh. like, we'll just be having dinner and he'll say something. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's hilarious. I Right. It's and, a new level you know, of appreciation for it. Yep. Right. And nonetheless, like if, if they don't even understand it and everybody else is laughing around them, it's still healing to be around that vibration. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I so love it. You think maybe you're going to be going into becoming a comedian. <laughs> is that the next step? Apparently I've just been told to reprogram myself as, as such. So I will. <laughs> well, no, you know what I like about you also is that you are used to that regimented, like scientific method, looking at things and then analyzing and then taking the next step. You know, it's a calculated step. It's like when I left my apartment back in the day, I, this is another story that was crazy. I knew I had to go. I had to leave that apartment, but I had no other apartment to move into. None. Wow. I always knew I could live with my parents, that I knew enough people that I wouldn't be on the streets, you know, that kind of thing. I had money in the bank. Like I could find something sometime and like people love me. And I just went off of that. <laughs> Sure enough, I hung up the phone with my my landlord and my now wife called me and she's like, you'll never believe it. Somebody's moving out of the apartment that I thought never would move out of that apartment that she owned. And she's like, so if you want to move in there, you can. I'm like, wow, it was closer to work. It was nicer. It had like heat that worked all the time. <laughs> you know, like it was just what a concept. I know what a concept. <laughs> yeah, I was paying for it, too. 
So, you know, like that's when you take that leap and you just listen, I, I really do feel like we get caught like in the hands of grace or a net or God or however you want to look at it. Is is the energy work that you do, is that related to like, uh, and not to go all Oprah, but like the, the law of attraction and the secret, is that is that the, the, the same kind of concept, like what you speak out to the universe and the, the universe is just going to reverberate on all those, those waves and... Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So when you know something in your heart or, you know, you can also then verify through your head, which is a really good idea. I suggest that <laughs> um, just like be like, make sure you're not crazy. Um, but that sends a very coherent signal out to the universe of like what you want and what you need. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, there's no, like, I, I knew that I would get like held within the hands of grace. I couldn't, I wouldn't really have at that time said that was what was going to happen, but I knew right. it full body. And when you send that out, the universe is like, oh, you're going to get caught by the hands of grace. So here it is. And that's how right. it comes into your experience is because you fully know it. And, and that's why we do the reprogramming because like for you stepping into comedian, you want to be in full alignment. Right. And mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be that hard. It's really just previous programming. For instance, like, you know, stepping into saying I'm gay, when you have the religious programming, you have to let go of the religious programming of what you learn to, to know that you're going to be okay. You know, that you're going right. to be able to choose you. And I, I personally, I mean, that was also, I was raised uh, Catholic and I went, I got yeah. my Holy Communion and confirmation and all that. And I was a little bit afraid of that. But then at the end of the day, I was like, what do I know about God? I'm like, you know, personally me, you know, with all the training right. that I supposedly had, which we both basically just were like trying to get out of it by going to soccer practice. But, you know, I was like, what do I know about God? Oh, I am loved no matter what. And right. I'm like, so yep. I'm gay. Does that mean I'm still up? Well, I guess it's no matter what. Okay. I'm willing to take that step. Right. And, and that was the same thing with when I was 26 and I wanted to walk in front of the bus and like, I was like, okay, what do I know about life? I don't know enough, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, you know, wow. I, 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 I took a, a step back, uh, you know, I was like, what am I going to do about my life? You know, what can I do so that I don't end up here again? So wow. we do have to just keep listening and, and asking questions and checking in. And I think that we can become in full alignment with who we really are. Yeah. Well, and, and again, it's, you got to pay attention to it. You got to listen to it. You got to be willing to, to believe, I mean, you have to, you have to believe it full body too. It's like, it's kind of like one of those things you kind of say half-assed, but you, it, for it to work, I think it, and again, it's the whole energy resonance thing. It's like, you got to believe it and believe that will work out. So mm -hmm. that's. Cause it will. That's yeah. the thing is like, if you can believe it, it will work mm -hmm. out. Like your brain is smart enough to keep you safe. So if you actually believe it, then you're good. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. Then you're good to go. And, and I mean, full body, believe it, not just like, I yep. believe this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not really believing. Right. So you, this has been so much fun talking to you. you oh my God. I love it. <laughs> I would love to, As are you. to you again sometime. This was really Please. fun. I've been thinking about this new concept of where we do have just maybe a couple of drinks, just talk, you know, like free. drunk history. <laughs> Did you say dr oh, drunk history? <laughs> have you seen that? No. What's that? Oh, Dude, so this guy, Derek, this, this guy, Derek Waters, he basically, he takes us usually a celebrity and they, oh my God, I can't explain. I'm going to have to send you a link. It's okay. freaking hilarious, but it's exactly what it is. It's a history lesson with a drunk person and they just get progressively drunker, but the way the actors oh act God. it out, it's hilarious. But yeah, I'm, I'm up for a three shot pod. I think that's what we should do. <laughs> oh my God. That's really funny. I was wondering what I would call it. Three shot pod. Katie came up with that, but let's do it. Three shot pod. Oh my gosh. So she's been thinking about it too. 
Well, yeah, she she's a performance instructor, and so and she's also uh, she and her husband are into faith based ministry. So I I am the line of irreverence that you know I I have to bleep myself out when I cuss on our pod, but you know we yeah, always I joke around do about that. doing a. <laughs> A three shot, yeah. Fuck no. We have to do it like a three shot pod. So it's like, all right, let's do. It. Let's see what happens. And we may not release this, but let's see what happens. But yeah, I think we should do it. Because the thing is, is when you lower the inhibitions, you're yeah. actually dampening the frontal lobe. Really, like you're you're kind of just like your filter just gets a little bit thinner, <laughs> and and you ask like better questions. I think you know when you're not yep. so nervous, like so. So sometimes when I feel like when I'm interviewing somebody, I want them to feel like they are important to me and important to the audience. And so Mm -hmm. I take that very seriously. Like I asked you, I said, you know, what's your full bio? Because I need it. Not for me and not for my audience, really, because I'll just tell them how great you are, because I already think you're great. And that's how you made it this far, right? Like, you already made the team, you know, so like they already my my people who are listening nerdy know that I find you valuable, right? But sometimes in life, we have these boxes that we're supposed to check off. I'm at that point where I'm like, I go back and forth. I'm like, I don't want to check off that box. I do want to check off the box. I don't want to check off. The yeah. Box. Yeah. So well, yeah, whatever I'm, feels, I'm a, well, a, you got to, whatever feels right. You know, because the moments, like you said, the, where you realize you can have that impact and you can tell that story of when you held that little girl's hand or when your dad was bringing the what wrench <laughs> up to the, you know, yeah. those are the moments that make up freaking life. Not, yep. You know, when yep. we walked across the stage, we'd like to believe that that really was the most pivotal moment in our lives, but it's really probably not. Or it's just mm-hmm. on number 10 versus number one. You right. Know, the first, like when I kissed my wife for the first time, remember that, like, you know, yep. those are the moments that you're like, what the fuck is going on in life? Like, this is amazing. Like, who am I? Where this am is I? the most like, important. Yep. Yeah. Like you become as present as possible. And and so I'm, like my dad telling the story, he jumped out of an airplane. He had to go to the air force too. Oh, wow. Yeah, he got, (laughs) there wouldn't be six kids if he didn't hit his head when he fell. (laughs) So he got discharged. But it was pretty great. Well, I'm glad your dad yeah, got yeah, his he hand hit then. <laughs> yeah, his parachute did not open up. Holy crap. Up, yeah, or it opened up like incorrectly and he wound up getting dragged across the ground and like really smashed his head. But there wouldn't be six of us, right? You know, yeah, like, right. probably not. That's what makes life, right? You know, yep. and I have so many stories about that. And my son is great because he asked me stories about my childhood. And every cool. night he's relating to me and then he'll bring them up later. And that's, Nice way of connecting to the past, right? Where he right, 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 right. And anyway, um, and then, but he's also br- he's also bringing your past through the present into the future. Like he's right. going to carry those. With, that's that. awesome. Like he's going to remember that in the future, and then tell me right. his kids. Yeah, so I think that's interesting. And then and then he has this podcast that he can listen to when he's like twenty years older, if he wants. I love it. But When's anyway, he going to be a guest on your podcast? I've asked him. He is like maybe. <laughs> He's, he's like, talk to my people. Yeah. He wants his own YouTube (laughs) channel. So I'm like, maybe I can convince him eventually that I'm cool enough to like interview him. (laughs) That's so funny. That's awesome. We do, we do have a very special relationship, but anyway, I, I really love talking to you and I hope we do this. You too. Some other fashion form or whatever. I'll see you on three shot pod. Yeah. Right. And you should also check out (laughs) wisdom app because you can be on there, like making people really enjoy your comedy. Um, and you and said that's the uh, Einstein, Einstein with the headphones, right? Yeah. Apparently they're going to like redo the person. Like they're going to pick a new one. And I was like, no, don't do that. I love Einstein. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. All right. Check it out. Yeah. And I love that you had Thomas Edison on your website, by the way. That Yeah. <laughs> said, 
It's at a uh, candy vegetable salesman and also greatest inventor in America. <laughs> <laughs> or greatest inventor ever or something yeah, like that that's just to see who reads so i appreciate that you read that you know oh like I, no, I always I, like to slide stuff in because some people don't, some people miss it you know no i know I, that's the thing is i'm fully present right and also yes, you are. i saw thomas edison and i was i wrote a paper on him in high school because i thought he was amazing i love him yeah i love i've loved all the great inventors it was very weird i, I yep. everybody i always was like that's weird because they're all men and so what's that mean <laughs> Anyway, it's been lovely talking to you. And you uh, too, Amy. Please tell everybody where they can find out more about you. I just go to mobarrett.com or just go to the Stark Transformation and link it through there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, everything will be yeah. in the show notes, but yeah, I love, I know. You're, you're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, and usually I, under La- Laugh, Learn, Laugh, Think. Yeah, I'm yeah, Laugh, still Learn, figuring out think. TikTok. But yep. yeah. So yeah, it should see, be Facebook and Instagram, it. Laugh, Learn, Think. Yeah, huh? I saw you had a, a TikTok video, but you didn't list it the TikTok uh, website or I didn't because I'm not on there enough it's just if yeah, my dogs yeah. start humping each other I put porn music to it and then I put that on TikTok <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest <laughs> and you don't think you're a comedian <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one humping it's my dogs I just no, am filming I'm- it I'm just a photographer <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have an awesome day and it's been a pleasure talking to you you too thank you so much Amy All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website, or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.